I want to ask you, as we have come to the sermon portion of our worship service today, I want to ask you to turn to the book of Jude in the New Testament. Jude happens to be the second to the last book of the Bible, right before Revelation. I'm really excited about, as Chris mentioned, the next uh, couple to three weeks, this is going to be four Sundays in a row in the book of Jude. And some people, knowing this was coming up, were kind of asking, what, what are you preaching on? How'd you come about it? And this and that. When I said, I'm preaching through the book of Jude, I said, go ahead and tell me the last time you heard a sermon on Jude. And, yeah, you know, I just got a couple of heads kind of like, eh. But they say, really, never. So I'm really excited about tackling this book of the Bible, really looking at God's Word over these next four sermon portions, these next couple of weeks, and looking at what, what God's Word has to tell us to the book of Jude. I want to also ask you, as you are turning to the book of Jude in your Bible, if you will turn in your bulletin to the, uh, towards the end, actually on page 13 and 14, there's a little outline there. It says, Message Notes. Now, I originally had intended to spend a little bit of time and read these Westminster Shorter Catechisms that are listed there. The bulletin has already been printed when I realized I was not going to have ample time to be able to go through everything that I really was all excited and wanted to go through. So uh, it's there. I'm kind of skipping over it on purpose, but I recommend and suggest to you still uh, those catechism questions. Maybe take this home with you. Uh, this afternoon, maybe this week, you come across it. Read those questions and see what the, what the Westminster Confession has to say about God's Word. The sermon title today is The Purpose of the Gospel and the Purpose of the Word of God. Now, God, through His Word, recorded in 25 verses in the book of Jude for us, He's going to do several things. If we, this is where I want to spend time with these catechism questions, but what God's going to do with, if we attend with diligence, with preparation and prayer, and if we receive it, if we receive God's Word with faith and love, and we lay it up in our hearts, and if we practice it in our lives. That's kind of a summary. That was the gist of what I wanted to get at, talking about the purpose of the Word of God in our lives and how God, through His Spirit, uses His Word, uses God's His written Word that is recorded down in the pages of Scripture, how He uses this to reveal Himself to us and how He uses this to draw us to Himself and call us to a state of repentance and into a relationship with Him. So that's kind of that purpose of the Word of God for us this morning. Now what I want us to do is we unpack the book of Jude. We're going to look at the first four verses today. So we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 4 this morning. Uh, I learned... A few days ago, I think it was, uh, you know, Chris was giving me a hard time about wanting to be in the bouncy house, you know, and Laura talked about backyard kids camp, and, you know, I'm just a big kid, I know that, and I enjoy being a big kid, and I, I, my dad still is, that's what I kind of grew up and was around, and I, he knows I can take these punches, and I, I understand, not all of you have revealed to me yet, but I understand that Chris took a little liberty, maybe, was it two weeks ago, and learned a few uses for the word appendix. And he, he got kind of creative in that word, maybe trying to make it plural, you know, and all this stuff. So out of his creativity, I'm going to use that, as most of you know, uh, two weeks ago yesterday, I spent a little time in the hospital. Well, this morning, I walk in, and uh, or Brad, I'm going to call you out. I walk in, and Brad Ainsworth, he says, Harrison, I can't believe you went to the hospital. A little pain in your stomach, a little appendicitis. He said, I know people that go along with appendicitis, and they don't do anything about it. They just deal with it. 
They get over it. They said, I can't believe you went and had surgery. You had it removed. Well, here's what I learned two weeks ago. I learned two weeks ago that if you have a pain, if you have something in your body, and it's physically hurting you, you'll do something about it. You'll even let somebody put you asleep, come at you with a knife, cut out an organ, knowing that you're going to have to spend a little time in recovery. And like me, I didn't know what that was going to be like. I understood that when something's diseasing my body, I will go to great lengths to do something about it, to fix it. I don't want to be in that pain. But get this. Jude, the book of Jude, as we have come to this book in the New Testament, we're going to see over these next few weeks that Jude is actually writing this letter. This is a letter of diagnosis. He is diagnosing the church. Jude is actually saying your physical body that can fall ill to disease, that can fall ill to a virus, that I learned, I'll do something about it. He's writing to an early community of Christians. He's writing to an early community, an early church, and he's saying, you know what? There's something diseasing the church. There's something that is diseasing your Christian community. And he said, you're not even aware of it. See, it's a lot easier for me to diagnose something wrong with my stomach, with my lungs if I'm having trouble breathing, if I've got a pain somewhere, and I can point to where it is. But if there's something going on with the message of the gospel, if there's something that's going on in our church, in our local church, in the church universal, it's hard to see. It's hard to diagnose. And what we're going to see is Jude points out, he's going to say in verse 4, they are those who have crept in unnoticed. In other words, we're going to see that it is from within the body. It is from within the church that the message of the gospel is being distorted, that is being basically falsely advertised. And this is what I want us to do over the next few weeks is see that as he's writing to this early community of believers, God's Word is speaking to us today saying, stay alert. If you see in your outline, we're going to get to commonality and that we are to contend for the faith. I put down there in the outline that it's about, that it's a fight. He's going to say, stay alert, keep your gloves up. That we can't become idle in our spiritual community because we fall prey. We fall prey to a false gospel. Let's read this morning from Jude, verses 1 through 4. If you would, would you stand with me out of reverence for God's Word? Let me read verses 1 through 4. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in, they're unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. Lord Jesus, we thank You for Your work, for dying on the cross, for taking our place. Holy Spirit, we ask that You would Use your word 
that you would impact our lives, that you would apply this Word to our lives in such a way that there is no way we stand no chance of remaining as we are now. That we become a new creation in Christ this very day. Lord, we pray all of this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. Many of you know that I like the little, uh, um, the little quick one-page daily devotionals that raise the daily bread. And we have them available to you each week out on the table out there. Well, recently, I can't remember how long ago this was, maybe a couple months ago, there was one of the reasons the daily bread, it was entitled Baby Food. It just caught my eye, and so I, I read about baby food. Now, this is kind of my own spin on it. I took what they were talking about with baby food, and, and I started thinking about baby food. Have you ever tasted baby food? Chances are, if you have children at least, you've tasted baby food. I've been talking about since you were a baby. But that you've tasted it, even from the standpoint of just wanting to show your little one how good it is, just see, Daddy likes it. You know, mmm. And you're really thinking, that is terrible. And at the very least, you're thinking, that is terribly bland. At, at, at best, it's terribly bland. Well, I started thinking about baby food. Babies don't have a choice, especially without teeth to chew up food. They can't enjoy a big old piece of juicy red meat that I so enjoy. They can't do it. They don't have a choice. Well, sadly, some Christians are content with spiritual baby food. We become content with just these simple yet profound, but these simple, and sometimes we label them as introductory truths of the Scripture these truths of God's Word, and we don't move beyond the basics of the Gospel. Now, there's a danger in this. By not sinking our teeth into the deeper, more meatier parts of God's truth in the more difficult Bible passages, we lack biblical understanding and convictions that aid and guide us in making decisions, get this, about what we believe and why we believe it. Now, this is going to be very important for us. I'm not really going to have time to come back to this. So I want to spend just a moment. It's important to know what we believe. It's also important to know why we believe it. I don't want you to believe biblical truth just because I stand up here or Chris stands up here and I tell you about it. It's important to know what you believe but why you believe it. I want you to take things that maybe I do say from up here. And I want you to search the Scriptures for yourself. When someone asks you, what do you believe about this? What do you believe about that? What do you believe God says in His Word about this? Don't take my word for it. With confidence, be able to say, I believe this because God's Word has revealed to me this. Know what you believe, but know why you believe it because God has revealed it to you through His Word. See, it becomes dangerous when we don't move beyond, when we don't mature spiritually. It becomes dangerous because we become idle in our spirituality and we fall prey to, as we'll see, a false gospel. It is within this early church community. It is within a, a, a little church plant that Jude's writing to that the gospel's being distorted and everybody's going, that's great, that makes sense. You know why? Because a lot of times the gospel that we want to listen to, the gospel that we want to pay attention to, what does it do in the end? It gives me what I want. 
usually it's given me the outcome that's more favorable to me. So it's easier for me to believe that. It's easier for me to believe that I can pervert the grace of God, as we're going to see in our passage, if it leads to sensuality. If it leads to, as we'll see, licentiousness. It's what I want us to see from this passage. But just as our children, and you yourself, you, you didn't stay eating baby food, you learned to eat more solid food, it gives us strength in the same way we need, all believers need to take the responsibility to feed upon these more solid spiritual foods. If we don't, we remain spiritually weak and undernourished. Mark Dever said, if you're familiar with Mark Dever, Mark Dever said, when Christians understand the sweeping grandeur of God's saving purposes, they will be inspired to worship God and encouraged to persevere in faith. This is the purpose of the gospel and of the word of God for us as we dig into the book of Jude today and over the next three weeks, that we would understand the purpose, that we would understand the saving purposes of God, that God has put his claim on us as his children, that we would be, what's the purpose of the gospel? What's the purpose of the word of God? That we would be inspired to worship God. Now, I don't know if you're anything like me. I get inspired to do a lot of things. I'll get all worked up. I call it getting a bee in my bonnet. When I get a bee in my bonnet, I just, I, I got to get that done or I can't think of anything else. Maybe you get inspired to, to, maybe you're a carpenter on the side and you get home from work and it just, it's really therapeutic for you to get home and saw some wood and sand it and stain it. You get inspired to make furniture. Maybe a seat cushion for a chair. You get inspired to help your children in their studies so that they can exceed academically. Maybe you, you get inspired to do so many things. Do you get inspired on a daily basis to worship your God and your Creator? The purpose of the Gospel and of the Word of God in our lives is that we would be inspired to worship God in all areas of our life every day. I want us to take that with us over the next few moments and unpack these four verses and hear what God has to tell us. Now, if you're following along or you'd like to in the outline, as you can see, I want to start by talking about mercy. What is mercy and what results from it? In verse 2, Jude says, May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. See, it's in the mercy we receive from God along with the peace and love that come out of God's mercy, that we are actually kept in Christ. Now that was from verse 1. We're actually going to see this as God is going to bring this home in week 3 and week 4 later in, in the book of Jude, that we are kept in Christ. We're going to look at the perseverance and the preservation of those who are waiting in Christ. I mean, that's just beautiful coming out of my mouth. I love to say that. The perseverance and the preservation of those in waiting that are in Christ. So what is mercy? Here's some definitions. First off, mercy is not justice. It's not injustice either. Think of mercy as withholding something that you deserve. That's mercy. Mercy is withholding something that you deserve. Mercy is forgiveness shown to someone with whom it's within one's power to punish or to harm. It's within God's power to punish us, to harm us, 
to give us exactly what we deserve, but His mercy is withholding from us that which we actually deserve. See, mercy's not grace either. A lot of times we want to put these together in such a way that we almost can't differentiate. But it's so important in our understanding this morning that we understand that mercy is not grace. Grace differs from mercy and that grace is unmerited favor. Grace is giving something that you don't deserve. Mercy, withholding something you do deserve. Grace, giving you something that you don't deserve. So mercy is God, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, God, for not giving me that which I deserve. Grace is God, thank you, thank you, thank you for giving me that which I did not deserve. See how precious is the grace and mercy that we receive from God through the person of His Son, Jesus, when we understand that He's withholding and He's giving. We have to understand the dual aspect there of grace and mercy. So we've been called back to God so that we can have a relationship with Him because it's out of His grace, out of His mercy, that He's actually made Himself available. See, that's the key. He's available through Jesus, John 14. Jesus is the way. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then in verse 7, in that John 14 passage, He says, if you know me, you know whom? If you know me, you know the Father also. You want to get to know your God. You want to get to know your Creator. If you know the Son, you know the Father. If you know the Son, you have access to the Father. He has made Himself available through His Son, Jesus. So, how much of this mercy of God's do we get? Here's I, I like this. I'm, I'm going to try to illustrate this for us this morning. I like in the, uh, in the bulletin, in the outline... The simple little uh, multiplication table. I started thinking about God's mercy. I started thinking, how much mercy do I receive from God? How much of what I deserve is He actually withholding from me? First, notice that God through Jude does not say mercy, peace, and love will be added to you. He says that mercy, love, and peace will be multiplied to you. This little table shows, I hope, that God's multiplication to us means that we receive His mercy. Get this, to the fullest measure. Look at this little table. We'll say that these are mercy units. We'll say God adds His mercy units towards us. Two plus two is four. Four plus four is eight. Eight and eight, sixteen. Sixteen and sixteen is thirty-two. So if we're adding it that many times, we get 32 mercy units. But God says, I multiply my mercy to you. Look what happens when we multiply something. Two times two, four. Four and four, 16. 16 times 16, 256 mercy units. All of a sudden, 256 times 256, 65,536 mercy units. In other words, more mercy is available to us because God pours it out abundantly. More of God's mercy is available than we could ever imagine. God wants us to know not only is there ample, not only is there more enough, but to the fullest 
measure that God's mercy is available to us. God reaches out to sinners. Get this. While we are still sinners. That is so important. That is so important for the gospel message that God doesn't reach out to us once we get our life in order. God doesn't reach out to us once we get everything in our household just like it needs to be. God reaches out to sinners while they are still sinners. God's blessings extend to all of us. Now my hope this morning, here's my hope this morning, is that any of you maybe have your heart, if your heart is still hardened to the things of God, this is going to be very important for you this morning. I want you to see that God demonstrates His mercy to you. He doesn't give you what you deserve. Now here's a little cliffhanger. This is the little break before the commercial that the news gives you so that you have to pay attention and come back after all the commercials. I said that mercy is not justice, that it's not injustice, that mercy is withholding what we deserve. I want to say that none of us get what we deserve. As we're going to see in a couple of weeks, in the end, we actually get, get this, we actually get exactly what we want. We don't get what we deserve. We actually get exactly what we want. So out of an understanding of grace and mercy, we're going to have a whole new outlook on what justice truly is, on what God's justice really looks like. The more that we come to God with our sins, the more God grants us the unbelievable gifts of mercy, of peace, and of love. So out of God's mercy results this peace. Peace being, I want to define it quickly, as a broken relationship. Peace is God mending the relationship, restoring us back to God. Jesus has bridged the gap. He's restored us in Christ. And this is kind of helpful for me. When I do it, I even remember it. Maybe you'll remember me doing it. It's kind of like saying, there's God, here's us, there's the gap. Jesus lays down His life, becomes the bridge that we walk across, but we should run across it. We should sprint across that, running to the Father, because now that gap, that separation, there's God, here's us. How am I ever going to get there? I don't deserve that. God's grace. He imputes to us, He gives us that which we don't deserve in Christ. So Christ must be there. No Christ, no gospel. I said it a few weeks ago or several weeks ago, whenever it was, I said, no crown, no cross, meaning no thorns, no crucifixion, no death, that crown of thorns, His death without that, no true crowns. Jesus had to lay down His life. He had to bridge that gap to make God available to us. That's how I can stand up here and announce not knowing your hearts. God searches the depths of our hearts. I can stand right here and look every single one of you in the eye and say that God is available to every single one of you in this room. That God's salvation has been made available for every single person sitting in this room. That's when you say, Amen! It calls for that. How amazing is the love 
of God. So do you think you deserve all this? Do you think you deserve God's grace, God's mercy? Don't turn there. Just let me read for you from Ephesians 1.3. What does it mean to be a child of God? It means Ephesians 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You are offered in Christ an infinite privilege and spiritual blessing. And how amazing is it to understand what has been made available to us. But with these blessings comes a very, very sobering responsibility that verse 3 now turns. Verse 3 of Jude. Beloved. And I love how pastoral Jude is here. He says, Beloved. Although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. In your outline, this is the commonality and contention section on the next page. What's so common about our salvation anyway? What what does he mean by common salvation? What's common? about our salvation. I really don't think I've ever looked up the word common. I think it's always been one of those words you just grew up, you kind of knew what it was, people use it, you knew what it meant by something being common, having things in common. Well, the NIV translates this phrase as the salvation we share. So I looked up the word, I wanted to see what old Webster had to say about it. And old Webster says that if something is common, that it belongs to equally. And I love this one. Definition said, if something is common, it pertains to or belongs equally to an entire community. That if something is common, that it pertains or it belongs to equally to an entire community. He's saying that this salvation that is God's and He provides for us is for all Believers, all who have put their faith and their trust in Jesus. The church as a whole, and Jude is writing, he's pleading as he did 2,000 years ago, that the church is in danger. That there is a gospel that is being preached, that there is a gospel that is being advertised that is no gospel at all. Our common salvation, common, uh, salvation being common, it doesn't take away from our salvation. It doesn't lessen our salvation. It means that it pertains or belongs to all of us equally that are in Christ. So Jude cannot be writing about what is required for salvation, meaning Jesus' saving work on the cross received by faith. He can't be talking about that. He was going to. That's what he was going to write about. But he says, I was eager to I was excited about it. I wanted to encourage you in that. I wanted to do this. I wanted to motivate you. But he says, I found it necessary. I ended up being so compelled to write because of the circumstances that he found the gospel was being advertised. The church was being diseased. He's saying in verse 3, the salvation offered in Christ that was once for all delivered, he said, yeah, that message, that gospel is being distorted 
falsely advertised and it's so dangerous because it's from people that have crept in. It's being unnoticed from folks from within your community right there. And what do we know about a distorted gospel? Let me just read again. Don't turn with me, but from Galatians chapter 1. Paul says, I'm astonished. Meaning, I'm flabbergasted. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning now to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So he says that we must therefore in Jude contend for the faith. There's a contention from the gospel. A contention for the gospel that has been delivered. How many of you were convinced by the Holy Spirit of your sin and you turned to God out of repentance and you said, I am saved, I am born again, and you celebrated that, and you were up here, you loved it, you were telling everybody about it, I am born again, I am saved, and it lasted hours, days, weeks, months, years, that you were up here in what God had done in your life. But then you get back on the golf course, or then you get back home, or you get back to work during the week, well, God's really changed my life. I'm a new creation, but uh, this business transaction could really, really further my career. This could, this could really help me out. It's just one little decision. Nobody will know about it. Maybe you get around, you know, your church bodies, or you come in on Sunday mornings, and, and everything is how it should be. When we're using the gospel in our lives to get away with what we want or to make ourselves feel better, we have no gospel at all. Because what I'm finding, I'm, I, I need to sum up here. I wanted to kind of get into maybe a little bit of detail of some of this. I'm just not going to be able to this morning. Let me read the NASB for you. The New American Standard translates verse 4 and says, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and they deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. He's telling us in verses 3 and 4 that our contending for the faith is staying alert, is knowing what we believe and why we believe it. If what we're believing is contrary to what God's Word is revealing to us, that's no gospel at all. Because what ends up happening is, and as I mentioned, kind of as introduction, a lot of times God's grace and God's mercy becomes ways, it, it becomes a way for us to exercise license. Because all of a sudden the Christian life for me becomes what? A clear conscience. But the Christian life is not about having a clear conscience. I don't need a clear conscience. I need a Savior. But when the Gospel becomes that which I can use to get what I want in the end, or to get away with, or kind of the old mentality of, I've got Jesus, so dot, 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 that's no Gospel at all. I don't need a clear conscience. I need a Savior. 
The last point, and I'm, I'm going to sum all this up. Do you claim God, or does God claim you? Jude's writing because there are those who have crept in, meaning they're from within. They're advertising this gospel that's really no gospel at all. God claimed you when you were a filthy, nasty, smelling rag. God claimed you. When you weren't even fit to crawl through your own filth to the foot of the cross, God claimed you. God loved you. He sent His Son for you, a sinner, with all your baggage. And I'm talking about the stuff that nobody else knows about. With all your baggage, with all the junk you think nobody else knows about, God searches the depths of your heart, and yet, guess what? He struck His Son instead of you. Now, if that doesn't change your life, understanding that there is someone that loves you that much to strike His own Son instead of you, a filthy rag, and He said, I love you. You are now a child of mine. I make you an heir. Heir to all the promises. God says, I give you everything. Everything that belongs to my Son is now yours. So that I'm saved, that I'm being born again, that new creation in Christ takes on a whole new meaning when we understand that God has given us all the rights and all the privileges of being an heir, of being a son, of being a child of the eternal God. Because He loves us so much that He refuses us to leave us that way. Martin Luther said, the verse 4 here, he said, but this denying, as we've heard, is not done by the mouth, for they confess that God is Lord, but they... Excuse me, but they deny the Lord Christ in fact and by their works, and they consider him not as their Lord, but themselves as their own Lord. These men, these women, these folks that he's writing about, they think that God's grace, getting what they don't deserve, allows them to do whatever they want, whether it be to indulge in sexual freedom or simply to be idle, it has led them to licentiousness. They have license. They want a clear conscience. So they can go on living their lives the same way that they do. They can go on using their finances in the same way they were before. And God says, no, that's not it. That's not the ticket. <clears throat> I don't need a clear conscience to keep doing what I was doing. I need a Savior to change my life to draw me to Him, to change every aspect of my life. I need to be inspired to worship God every day. Home, work, on the ball field, no matter what I'm doing, be inspired to worship God. And here's the beautiful thing about the Gospel. This is all the stuff that I chase after. All the stuff that I think is going to make me happy. All the stuff that I think is going to bring me pleasure. God is actually, through His Word, motivating encouraging me to worship Him. But why? Because unlike all this stuff that I chase around in this world, that which actually will bring me the greatest joy, that, will, that which will actually bring me the greatest satisfaction in my life is 
what He's offering me. He pushes me. He motivates me, encourages me to do that, which will give me the greatest joy and satisfaction anyway. But we don't see it that way. We want to see it as a, as a binding. We want to see it as, oh, I'm handcuffed now. I would have done this. Now I've got to do this. We think of it as changing our lives. Yes, but not even changing our lives for the better, but having a relationship with our Father. Because what He is actually doing is offering us the greatest joy in the Gospel. Freely. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I claim. Bring nothing. It's free. Come to Him and He gives you everything. Everything. In Psalm. I'll end with this. If I pervert the grace of God, it leads to denial of the true Jesus. Jesus is Savior. That's our tagline that we leave with today. He's offering us this morning to embrace Him because He's laid His claim on us as children and heirs to His promises. And if God's tugged on your heart this morning, then I invite you to pray with me as I pray and close this time. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Lord, we need to be restored to You today. We give You praise in this moment and every moment hereafter for the mercy, for the grace and the peace and the love that You have provided and that You multiply to me the undeserving. Lord, there's nothing, absolutely nothing that I can add to my salvation. But Lord, You call us all believers everywhere to contend for the faith that you've provided. Remind us of growing closer to you instead of further away each day. We pray this in the name of our precious Savior, Jesus. Amen.